1: You are listening to episode 16 of Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 31, Dunsany Road's Orbital, 2353, July 18. When they called for navigation detail for that last run into Dunsany, I took my place on the bridge and it was all I could do not to cry. The careful choreography of tug, ship, and orbital seemed just that little bit more special because I knew it would be a long time before I got a chance to sit on the bridge of a ship like the Lois McKendrick again. We eased in and latched on without incident, and there was a moment of quiet in me, if not in the bridge around me. It was done. A few weeks shy of two years, to be sure, but I could almost feel that Lois had finished with me. I stood and secured the console, powering it down all the way for the first time since Mr. Von Nichols had brought it up for me to use. I looked out at the ships on either side then, not wanting to look at the people on the bridge just yet. Dick Graves on astrogation, Selina and Fong at ship handling, Sandy Belterson standing by to take the watch, Mr. Von Nichols, Mr. Kelly, Mr. Maxwell, and the captain. I knew they were all there, but I was trying to get control before I tried to say anything. If you do the honors, Mr. Pa, the captain said. Secure from navigation detail. First section has the watch. She waited for Fong to finish, then turned to Mr. Maxwell. You may declare liberty at your discretion, Mr. Maxwell, she said. Thank you, Captain. Make the announcement, Mr. Pa. And while Fong was announcing liberty, Mr. Von Nichols held out his hand to shake mine. Best wishes, Mr. Wong. he said. It's been an honor sailing with you. One after another, they all came, and if they noticed I didn't speak, nobody mentioned it. The captain came last, of course, and said, "'If you'd come to the cabin, Mr. Huang, we have some paperwork to clear up.' She didn't wait for me, just turned, and I followed her. Around us, the bridge watch was settling in. The business of the ship was continuing, and even though I was no longer part of it, the rightness of it made me feel a little better. When we got to the cabin, the captain was apologetic. "'I'm sorry to have to boot you off, Ishmael,' she said, "'but it's actually going to work out in your favor.' "'Oh, it's okay, Captain,' I said. "'I understand.' You'll continue to collect half pay until your contract expires, she continued. Because the company dismissed the berth, you're not obligated to take anything less than a Spec 1 Systems berth, and you're not going to be here long enough for it to matter. Thank you, Captain, I said. The standard procedure is to extend the courtesy of the ship until the end of the watch, so you'll have until 1800 to pack up and say your goodbyes. It's only 1030 now, so you should have plenty of time. Most of the crew will be on liberty, but you may find a few of them at some disreputable spacer bar down on the O2 level about twenty hundred tomorrow evening. Jump, I believe it's called, she said with a grin. I think I know the place, Captain, I told her with a smile. I was oddly touched that the captain herself would tell me. You'll need to initial your logout at the gangway when you leave and surrender your ship's tablet at that time. You're not obligated to check out until 1800, of course, so if you have any shopping or anything you want to do before final checkout, that's not a problem, she said. Any questions so far? No, Captain, I think I've got it, I said. The last bit of business, then, is to let you know that I got a message at the beacon from Captain Carstairs. They'll be a couple of days late meeting up with you and Pip. They're expected to dock early on the 21st, so you'll have a couple of days' real liberty on station. I'm not sure I remember how to act without a watch schedule to guide me, Captain, I said, smiling. My advice is sleep while you can. That's the one thing you'll never have enough of at the Academy, she said with a straight face and a twinkle in her eye. Good advice, Captain. Thank you. "'Now, ship's business complete. "'Let me congratulate you and tell you how proud I am of you,' she said. "'You've come a long way since that scared boy that came aboard on Neris, "'and I'm sure your mother would have been proud.' "'She caught me with that one, and I started to tear up. "'I could feel my control crumbling even as I tried to hold on to it. "'Well, silly me,' she said gently. "'I seem to have left my tablet on the bridge. "'If you'd be so good as to excuse me, Mr. Huang, "'I'll leave you here for about fifteen minutes.' She crossed to the door, and before she opened it, she said very gently and without turning, "Tissues are by the sofa. Use as many as you need. She slipped out then and quietly latched the door behind her. I cried then. I cried for my mother, dead two years and not properly mourned until that moment. I cried for Lois because I was going to miss her so much. I cried because I was going to have to say goodbye to Diane and Brill and Beverly and even Mr. Maxwell. I cried because I had come to love this place and these people who had welcomed me into their home and let me make it mine for a time when I needed the shelter, and now I was leaving. I cried for me because I hurt, even though I knew the hurt would pass, and I cried because while I knew the boy I had been was still inside, I also knew he'd never be the same. In a surprisingly short time, I cried myself out. I had an astonishing pile of tissues to deal with and the feeling that my throat might be raw for a while— I cleaned myself up as well as I could and dropped the soggy wad down the disposal chute, smiling with the silly thought of what part of me would be staying with the ship. By the time the captain returned with her tablet, I was more or less under control. If she noticed anything untoward about my appearance, she didn't mention it. Right then, she said, I think that's about it. There's a packet of information you might find useful waiting for you at the gangway, including storage cubes of your personnel jacket and your personal records from the ship's system. There's also information about where you might stay on the orbital until Captain Carstairs arrives. Thank you, Captain, I told her finally. It's been an honor serving on the Lois. I'll never forget all you've done for me. Oh, I know you'll do us proud, Ishmael, she said, and she shook my hand. I'll do my best, Captain. As I left the cabin, I suddenly wasn't sure what to do. I had the day to pack and leave, but I was seized with the urge to leave immediately. I headed for berthing and packed everything but the clothes I'd wear ashore. I wonder what we'd do for ship suits on the bad penny, but I'd have a couple of days to sort that out. I pulled out my civilian model PETA and wondered if I'd get a new tablet at the academy. In the meantime, I made sure the bank balances and other information I needed from the tablet were properly reflected on my PETA. The split from our trading and my accumulated pay and shares amounted to just over 24 kilocreds. It seemed like an insane amount, but I knew it was going to have to last a very long time. Everything seemed to be in order. By then it was lunchtime, so I thought that the mess deck would be the best place to catch as many of the crew as would likely be around. When I got there, it was a typical first day in port. I was the only one there. The buffet was spiced beefalo, and I inhaled a lungful of the aroma so I'd never forget it. Cookie was there, of course, and he came out and he shook my hand. You've done well, Ishmael, he said with a smile. Take care of Pip, he added, with a sly wink. He didn't linger, but went back to his work. I got my food and settled on the mess deck just as Diane came in. Oh, good, she said, and crossed to where I was sitting. You're released, right? she asked. Yep, I said, just taking advantage of a free meal. I need to be off the ship by eighteen hundred. Good, she said, and grabbed my head and kissed me very soundly. She came up for air after a long and very pleasant kiss, looking as dazed as I felt. Phew, she said. I've wanted to do that for a long time. You take care of yourself, Ishmael Wong, she added and with another little peck on the nose, headed back out of the mess dock. Cookie, Pip, and Sarah were all looking out at me, Cookie with a smile, Pip with a grin, and Sarah with a considering look. After Diane, I was a little concerned what she might be considering. Cookie and Sarah turned back to working on something I couldn't see in the kitchen, and Pip came out to sit with me for a bit. I'm not sure it's safe to sit this close to you, he said with a grin. I don't want to cramp your style. "I I hope she enjoyed that as much as I did, I told him. Heck, fire, Pip said. I hope she enjoyed it as much as I did. So, I got to be off the ship by 1800. There's a packet at the gangway with housing information, so I better go check that out this afternoon. We can see what we've got to deal with. Good plan. I'll be joining you tomorrow. We'll have to try to find something fun to do. Oh, is the Alistair in? I asked him. He laughed. (laughs) I'll have to look it up. He turned serious then and said, It's going to be okay, I think. Sitting there on the mess deck, I could almost believe it. I got up to bust my dishes for the last time... When I turned, Sarah was standing behind me. She was smiling, not a big smile, but still with a kind of glow to it. Blessings upon you, Ishmael Huang, she said, and she reached up to pull my head down to kiss my forehead once. She released me, and I smiled at her. Thank you, Sarah, I said. Fare you well wherever you go. Pip looked at me strangely, but it felt right somehow. Silly, perhaps, but right, and I knew it was time to go. You're leaving now, he said. "'Yes,' I said, suddenly very sure. "'Lois is done with me, and it's time to move on.' "'I'll tell him,' Pip said, without my having to ask, and I thanked him with a nod. "'I headed down to Berthing to change into civvies. "'After that, it was a matter of a tick to collect my duffel, "'reset the locker, and run the linens into the recycler. "'In two ticks, I was at the lock and checking out. "'Fong had the duty and handed me a thick envelope with several data cubes "'and several folders of information.' The one marked housing indicated a hotel on Level 7 and listed a reservation number. All in order-ish, Fong asked. Well, I don't know yet, I told him with a smile. It seems like I've already got a reservation. I was hoping to say goodbye to a few people, but I suppose there'll be a jump, huh? Well, I think everybody but those on duty will be there, he said with a grin. Are you going? I laughed. I think I have to, don't I? The envelope went into the duffel, along with all my other worldly goods. A folder with the reservation information slipped into a jacket pocket. Fong zeroed out my mass allotment accepted my tablet, and opened the lock for me. Thanks, I said. See you tomorrow night. Safe voyage, Ishmael, in case I miss you there. Safe voyage, Fong. I walked out of the lock and turned to watch it close. Safe voyage, Lois, I murmured, and then headed across the docks for the lift. Chapter 32, Dunsany Road's Orbital, 2353, July eighteen. Walking away across the icy cold docks toward the lift, I felt numbed. Not outside, as if from the cold, but inside. In part, I still felt wrung out from my encounter with the captain, in part because I knew I was walking away from the lowest for the last time. Walking away from Beverly, from Brill, from Diane, and all the others. I gave a little snort of amusement then, remembering that before coming aboard, I was the guy with no friends. On the one hand, that had made it easy to leave Nerys and on the other, almost impossibly difficult to walk across the dock, leaving them all behind. I suppose my brain just turned me numb so I could actually do what needed doing. The lift was open and waiting when I got to it, and I punched level seven. As I got off, I realized with a start that this was the same hotel that Alvarez had taken me to over a stand year before. I wished I had my tablet so I could see if the Duchamp was docked. Less than ten ticks and I already missed it. It's a good spacer hotel, that's all, I said to myself. Still... Even after a year, the memory of that little escapade gave me a kick in the chest cavity, and I wondered if I'd ever see her again. I wondered if I'd ever see anybody again. Well, other than at the going-away party, anyway. Thinking of the party made me feel better. They weren't all totally gone, yet. At the registration desk, I gave the registration number for my separation jacket. Do you have a reservation for Ishmael Huang? I asked, and the clerk pulled up the record. Yes, sir, if you'd care to register. He held out a thumb pad. I didn't make this reservation, I said. What are the terms? The suite is reserved for the 21st, sir, he said. Something in my face or stance must have alerted him to the problem, because, he added, the suite's been paid for in advance, sir. Of course, I thought. Let me guess, Lois McKendrick? He consulted his screen. Yes, sir, is is there a problem? No, thank you, everything is fine. I pressed my thumb on the pad, and he gave me the key. Lois was still looking out for me, it seemed. The first time I'd run across Lois, I remembered thinking it was a little weird, but over time I thought I could almost hear her. I smiled to myself, thinking how Pip used to tease me about talking about Lois as if she were real. The room was just down a side passage. I slipped a lock and stepped into a hotel suite that seemed huge after two standards living in a birthing area. There was a living room with a wet bar and small chiller. There was a large hollow unit on one wall and several comfy-looking couches and coffee tables. It was large enough to have a good-sized party, in. I laughed softly to myself and wondered if that was Lois's intention. It was a small head, uh, "'Bathroom,' I corrected myself with a smile. "'Just to the left of the entry door, and to the right, a door to the next room was ajar. "'I pushed through into the sleeping room, and it wasn't as large as the main room, "'but still substantial, with two full-size beds. "'As I stowed my duffel in the closet, I wondered what I'd need for clothes on the trip to Port Newmar. "'I knew I'd be buying uniforms and filling a new duffel bag when I got to the school, "'so I was less concerned about that. "'When I visited the Bad Penny on Nile, Pip's cousin Roger had been aboard, but not wearing a ship suit.' I didn't know if it was because he'd just come back aboard himself or what. I needed information and I reached for my tablet before I remembered it was gone. The civilian model PETA just didn't have the same communications options and I wondered if I could find a spacer-grade tablet of my own. I really needed to talk to Pip. Then I remembered my portable. If I could tie into the shipnet, maybe it would find the station net the same way the tablets did. In two ticks, I had it set up on the coffee table in the suite and was logged in. The hotel connection was perfectly compatible, and I was able to pull up the standard station access, including messages in the Union Hall display. The bad penny was listed as inbound. I dropped Pip a message on his tablet so he'd have my civilian address and asked, should I buy more civvies for the trip, or does the penny have ship suits? While I was at it, I dropped Mr. Von Nichols a similar query about the availability and advisability of tablets. My portable was nice, but I really missed the tablet, and I didn't know what the Academy required. I sat back then and took a deep breath. The connection via station net made me feel a bit better. I wasn't completely cut off. I could contact people when I needed to. Of course, the only people I knew to contact were on the ship, but that would change as Pip and I started out on our new adventure to Port Newmar, or when the ship left, whichever came first. I was just standing up to go when the response from Pip came back. I'll be there right after lunch tomorrow. Relax. We'll go shopping. Mr. Von Nickel's response came in right behind it. Don't buy anything. I'll explain at the party. Yeah, I can certainly wait that long, I thought, as I settled back on the sofa. The cushions were soft and comfy in ways that I hadn't known I'd missed aboard ship for two stanniers. I snorted a soft laugh at myself. Funny things you never notice. The suite was almost silent. I could hear the faint environmental noises from the air ducts and the people out in the passageway as if they were a long way off. The fan on my laptop sounded loud in the hush. I sat there for as much as two ticks listening to the quiet and marveling that I didn't have anything to do for the next few hours. Nothing at all. After two standers aboard the Lois and my entire life before that, if I were to be honest about it, I finally had nothing I needed to do, and nobody I needed to answer to except myself. The heady notion was crushed under the weight of not knowing what to do next. I chuckled to myself and stood to hang up my coat in the closet beside my duffel when I remembered the chip my fingers slid into the inner pocket of the jacket and pulled out Henri Roubaix's data chip with the flourished R on the case. I checked my impulse to hang up the coat and instead changed course for the door. A short visit to Chaise Henri was just what the doctor ordered. Chaise Henri was still in the same place and looked the same as I walked through the front doors. Even the woman at the podium was the same. I was surprised when her eyes widened in recognition. "Mr. Huang," she said with a smile, "how nice to see you again." "'I don't know if she really remembered me "'or just picked up a biosensor relay somewhere, "'but being greeted by name after only one visit in the previous year "'certainly perked up my ego. "'Hello, and thank you. It's good to be back,' I replied, "'holding out the chip to her. "'I'd like to see about getting a few fresh shirts "'and perhaps a pair of dress slacks,' I said. "'She slotted the chip but gave the readout only a perfunctory glance "'before replying, of course, monsieur, if you'd come this way. "'She led me through one of the side doors to a different waiting room "'than during my last visit and indicated a comfy chair.' "'Please, make yourself comfortable. "'Monsieur Roubaillet will be along in one moment. "'May I get you some refreshment?' she asked prettily. "'No, thank you, mademoiselle,' I smiled in return. "'I'm quite comfortable.' "'She gave a small wink and a smile as she left to return to her post. "'No sooner had she left when Monsieur Roubaillet bustled in from the other door "'with a beaming smile and an outstretched hand. "'Monsieur Huang, a pleasure to see you back. "'Without your entourage this time,' he asked. "'Yes, monsieur,' I told him, as I stood to shake his hand "'and we settled into opposing chairs.' "'I've left Lois McKendrick en route to the Academy at Port Newmar. "'They couldn't be with me for this afternoon.' "'He smiled. "'Dommage, but you are moving up and moving on, "'and you have come to me for assistance with your wardrobe. "'Congratulations on being accepted to the Academy. "'An excellent school,' he said, before turning to business at hand. "'How may we help you today?' "'I need some fresh shirts and underthings,' I told him. "'I'll be traveling for the next few weeks in transit. and "'I suspect my supply of civilian attire is inadequate to the journey. He pursed his lips in a small mew of consideration and squinted his eyes slightly as he observed me. "'Perhaps,' he said with a small question in his voice, "'maybe we need to see what we see.' He stood suddenly and beckoned me to follow as he bustled out the same door he'd entered. "'Come, Ishmael, we have work.' It was a simple matter to select a few shirts and some fresh underwear, but Monsieur Roubaix refused to stop there. "'Come, come, Ishmael, you've worn that jacket and jeans for a year.' It's time for you to move up. You're going to the academy, and you must be properly attired, he chided me, and held out a dark coat. Try this on. I sighed and laughed. Very well, monsieur. I relented and let him slip the coat on over my arms and settle it across my shoulders before turning to the mirror. I almost didn't recognize the man looking back at me. He smiled tentatively at first, and then with more assurance... I recognized some of him from those many months ago when I first signed the articles on Naris, and I saw him for the first time in the ship suit in the locker room before heading up to the Lois McKendrick. He'd grown some, not just in frame, but there was something about the eyes and the set of the mouth, and a kind of a half-smile. The jacket I recognized with a shock as well. It wasn't the same jacket that I tried on at Brichot's booth back in St. Cloud, but it was very similar, fit was exquisite, and I now recognized it as being cut in a classically elegant style. A bit dramatic, perhaps, but where I'd considered it too theatrical at Brachot's, I now realized that it was merely stylish. The dark charcoal color with small flecks of darker gray were so tastefully done as to almost melt in your mouth. I must have stared for a long time, because Monsieur Roubaix prompted me. Is everything okay, Ishmael? he asked. My focus shifted to look at him in the mirror, and I smiled. Oh, yes, monsieur, you're very good. I was just reminded of something and became lost in my thoughts. He smiled knowingly. It happens, he said. This jacket looks very good on you. A bit more formal than your picot, but less formal than the dress uniforms you'll be required to wear at the academy functions. Perhaps a good transitional piece for your wardrobe, I suggested. Do you have perhaps a pair of slacks that would go with this, I asked with a smile. I had no idea how I was going to pay for this and still go to the Academy, but I was determined to at least look. Monsieur Roubaix smiled and produced a pair of slacks and a slightly lighter tone of charcoal. In no time at all I was wearing the most exquisite suit I'd ever seen. After the obligatory stretching, straightening, and adjusting, the fit was pronounced perfect, and I knew that I'd found what I'd come for. The moment of truth collapsed upon me then, and I asked to see the reckoning. Of course, Monsieur Roubaix said with a smile, as I finished redressing in my original clothing. He handed me a tablet with the purchases itemized. I avoided looking at the total as I scanned down the list of smaller items at the top and reached the bottom without gasping. The prices were very reasonable, and even the total with the jacket and slacks was only slightly more than I'd paid a year before. I knew I had more than sufficient cash to cover it, but the thought of going to the academy, knowing I didn't have enough to finish, gave me pause. M. Roubaillet was arranging with one of the assistants to get the slacks hemmed to the correct length, and I caught sight of the lush fabric once more. Before I could talk myself out of it, I thumbed a the contract. There'd be plenty of opportunity for regret, and for once I was willing to take the chance that I'd regret buying the suit rather than the certainty that I'd regret leaving it. I handed the tablet back to him. Thank you, Monsieur Roubaillet. That is satisfactory. He smiled when he took the tablet back. Thank you, Ishmael. We'll have these delivered to your suite within two hours." I trust that's adequate, he said, as we walked back through the lobby and beyond. Very, Monsieur Robier, and I thank you once more for a wonderful time. I smiled, and we shook hands. Grasping both my hands in his, he looked me straight in the eye and said with a little twinkle, May you become the man you wish to be, Ishmael. He grinned, waved, and disappeared back into the shop, leaving me standing in the passageway with what felt like a bemused smile on my face and another chip in my hand. I headed toward the lift with no real destination in mind and soon found myself wandering idly through the flea market. My first trip seemed so far away and so long ago. I watched for things I might take with me to Port Newmar, thinking that perhaps a few small items could go in my duffel for sale before I left the orbital there. Ishmael! The voice caught me by surprise. I looked around to find that I'd practically walked into the co-op booth without noticing. Tabitha was standing there with a big grin on her face, and Sean was behind her selling one of his Afghans to what appeared to be a local. "'You lost?' she asked. "'I grinned in reply as I saw some of the other members of the co-op, "'busily engaged in trade of various kinds. "'Most of them smiled and nodded at me, but didn't break off their dealing. "'No,' I laughed. "'I just stopped by to see if there was something I could tuck in my duffel "'to sell when I got to Port Newmar. "'Find anything yet?' she asked. I shook my head. "'Just got here. "'Last time we were here, we left with some nice batik fabric and some prints. "'Ooh,' she said. "'I remember that batik. "'It was gorgeous. "'That was right when we started the co-ed crochet team.' You guys doing okay with that? I asked her. Sean finished his sale and came over to answer. It's been great. He looked shyly at Tabitha, who winked and grinned back. We're making enough to really get some serious money going here. Sarah's taking to it like a duck to water, and she's getting top credit for her work, too. Something in the way Tabitha looked at Sean made me think that there was more going on than just crochet, but I didn't get into it. I smiled and said, that's wonderful. After a few more minutes of small talk, I wished them continued success and wandered on down the aisles. Seeing them reminded me that the reason we'd done so well in the various flea markets was because of the co-op, and I'd not have a co-op to sell in Port Newmar. While I could certainly rent a booth there, the idea of carrying cargo from here to there seemed somehow less attractive. In spite of that, I wandered in the flea market until the chime sounded the closing, and I drifted out with the human tide. With nowhere else to go, I headed back to the room. The clerk smiled as I entered and winked. I wasn't sure what the wink was about until I got to the room and found my packages from Roubaix and Beverly, both waiting in the suite. She was sitting on a sofa, clicking through something on a tablet, and looked up as I entered. "'There you are,' she said. "'Busy afternoon?' She smiled as she nodded at the tastefully bundled parcels. I smiled back. "'Passable. I needed to get a few things for the trip,' I told her. "'Went up to the flea to see what I could see,' I added, making it a little sing-songy, trying to keep my heart from pounding out of my chest.' She grinned and stood, crossing to me and giving me a hug. I'm glad you're back. I'm starved. Let's go get something to eat. She led me out of the hotel and headed purposefully to starboard. She stopped at the entrance of a tastefully decorated restaurant and leaned down to kiss me in full view of just anybody who happened to be watching in a wanton and shameless public display of affection. I did so hope somebody was watching because I think it was worth a look. There's more where that came from, she whispered before straightening up. We went in, and when the maitre d' asked, she said, McKendrick, for 6 p.m. He bowed the little maitre d' bow and escorted us into the restaurant. He led us to a booth while Bev enjoyed the looks from the other patrons. With her tattoos, multiple piercings, buzz-cut hairstyle, she usually got looks. She was, of course, in her black leathers and wearing an exquisite soft yellow blouse under her jacket. The blouse was unbuttoned to her sternum, and it was obvious there was nothing but woman underneath—other well, than surgical steel, of course— Beverly was gorgeous in her own vicious animal way. We had steaks, the house specialty, and baked potatoes, and big crunchy green salads. Bev ordered a perfectly lovely wine, and we sat and we ate and we talked like we had all the time in the world, like we weren't going to spend the evening saying goodbye. When the steaks were gone, and the salad and the wine, and when the desserts had been ordered and eaten and the coffee had followed, we had to leave. Bev insisted on covering the check. You're unemployed, remember? she teased. Half pay, I insisted, but she just shook her head. We left the restaurant together, and out in the corridor, Beverly took me by the arm, and we walked hip to hip back to the hotel. I flashed a lock and opened the door. Beverly sailed in and surveyed the living room. Nice, she said, and chucked off her leather jacket and kicked off her boots. The jacket went over the back of the couch before she turned to me. Are you enjoying yourself, she asked, as she caught me admiring the way the black leather pants fit her. Oh, yes, I assured her. I could feel my chest tightening and my breath already beginning to quicken at the implication of her being there. Good, she said with a grin, and held out her hand in invitation. Then could I ask you to come over here and sit on the sofa and just hold me for a while? The request was so unexpected, I asked. Are you okay? Out of reflex. Oh, yes, she said, with a soft little sigh as we settled together. It's just that I've wanted this for so long. I want to savor every moment. That brought a pang as I realized what she'd not said, and I sighed, "'and we wrapped around each other and just held on. "'I was surprised at how soft her cropped hair was on my cheek. "'I expected it to be more bristly, although I don't know why. "'I found myself stroking her head "'and loving the curve of her skull in my palm "'and the way her hair tickled between my fingers "'while being too short to grasp. "'Eventually there was gentle kissing involved. "'Fingers, foreheads, ears, eyes, and after time, mouths. "'Later we moved to the other room, "'and she walked to the bed, unbuckling her belt.' slipping the leather pants down her legs at last, kicking them off. She dove face-first onto the mattress, just bouncing on it slightly. The tails of her yellow blouse flipped up, delicately exposing lacy-white briefs stretched deliciously across her backside. Ooh, she cooed. Somebody could get very, very naughty here. She rolled onto her back and propped up on her elbows to look at me. I'm sorry, she growled, low in the back of her throat, but it really does seem like you'd better get in here. Her blouse was pulled down from her right shoulder, and while it didn't reveal anything more than tattoos and a smoothly rounded shoulder, it only needed another few centimeters to expose a delightful-looking breast. She drew up her left knee, allowing her thighs to open the tiniest amount in invitation, her briefs painting a pale target against her flesh. A very long time later, after several rounds of sobbing and laughing, moaning and sighing, some of it bevs, we fell asleep, with only the sheet over us to keep in some of the warmth. A feeling of something wet tickling down my ribs woke me after a time. Bev's head was resting on my chest, one arm thrown up and over my shoulder, her breasts on either side of my upper arm. She'd fallen asleep with her mouth open and was drooling on me in her sleep. It was such a childlike, innocent thing to see after the long night of deliciously depraved behavior that I started to laugh, but it caught in my throat and it came out as a sob when I remembered that she'd soon be gone, probably forever." The movement of my chest as much as the sound woke her, and her mouth closed. She raised her head a little, looking around drowsily to see what she'd been laying in. I saw memory flash across her face as she turned those fiercely beautiful eyes in my direction, and she chuckled a small chuckle. Sorry about that, she said ruefully as she used the edge of the sheet to wipe my chest and then her cheek. I couldn't say anything just then, so I just hugged her head back down onto my chest. I held her like that for a while, and we fell asleep again. Chapter 33, Dunsany Road's Orbital, 2353, July 19. The sound of the shower woke me the next time, and I lay there alone in the bed. The chrono beside the bed read 0730. Good, I thought, she doesn't have the watch. Bev came out of the bathroom wearing a pair of black briefs and a turtleneck pullover clung to her in the right places. I wondered briefly where she'd gotten fresh clothes, but she climbed onto the bed and was most distracting for several ticks without actually doing anything too naughty. Okay, so she wasn't exactly innocent, but she also pulled back before things got too heated and pointed toward the bathroom. "'Shower now, you tomcat,' she said, trying to be stern. "'You smell like me, and I want breakfast, and I want it soon, so be quick.' She lost the effect then by laughing. It wasn't long before we were sitting down to breakfast, and compared to the leisurely meal of the night before, breakfast was all business. We went, we ate, we left. Outside the restaurant, Bev turned to me. "'Will you be okay on your own for a few stands?' she asked. "'I have some business to take care of back on the ship.' "'Pip will be along shortly, and you two boys will undoubtedly find plenty of mischief to get into.' "'Would it make any difference if I said no?' I asked. She shook her head with a grin. "'You're coming back, though, right?' I asked, looking for reassurance. "'Yes,' she said seriously. "'I'll be back later today, and I'll be at the party tonight.' She kissed me playfully on the nose and turned toward the lift, hips swaying loosely as she walked. I wasn't the only one watching her go. I noticed several men and at least two women tracking on her as she sashayed by. I went back to my room and took stock. I was still wearing the clothes I'd left a ship in, other than the change of briefs. I wondered again what I'd need for clothes on the trip to Port Newmar, and I knew I'd be buying uniforms and filling a new duffel bag when I got to the school, so I was less concerned about that. There's nothing to do for it but wait for Pip, and not much to do in the meantime. Yawning and smiling, I crawled back into the rumpled sheets and fell asleep, smelling Bev's hair on the pillow. Pip was as good as his word and showed up at 13.30 with his kit. Nice digs, he said approvingly as he walked in. Are we paying for this? Lois paid the bill in advance through the 21st. The bad penny is due to dock tomorrow, so we've got another couple of days of living the high life, I said with a smile. Do you know how long we'll have after they get here? Nah, they'll clear customs and cargoes before they get too carried away with planning. We've got plenty of time, though. I think as long as we leave here by the 27th, we'll be fine. He started poking about then and stuck his head into the sleeping room. Nice, and well used, I see. He winked at me. He surprised me, then, by walking to the other end of the sitting room and opening a door on that end. "'Ah,' he said, and disappeared through the door. I hadn't even noticed it, let alone considered it. I started to follow him, but he came back out without his kit and said, "'Good. I'll just take that one, then.' He pointed at the portable still set up on the table. "'That was pretty clever thinking. The PETA just isn't up to it after you've had a tablet, is it?' "'No kidding. So, what's the deal with ship suits? Aunt P and Uncle Q don't require them, but they're a hell of a lot more practical than civvies underway.' The big companies all provide them, but the Indies just buy their own, kind of like having your own tools. Come on, he said. We need to stock up. He took me down to the O-1 level. Orbital stations were all the same. The O-1 level was one deck down from the docks. Typically, the upper decks were residential, tourist, and retail, and below was commercial. It was the first time I'd visited an O-1 deck. While the O-2 level was entertainment, catering to the deep dark crowd, the O-1 was business consultants, import-export brokers, repair brokers, cargo brokers, even a tailor and a barber shop, everything the well-heeled spacer might need, including a chandlery, selling everything you might want for a ship, from deck paint to fiber optics. Crew supplies had a whole wing to itself. Duffel bags, ship suits, environmental soft suits, hygiene gear, even blanket sheets and towels in standard ship sizes. We only need to get the minimum to get by for the next couple of months, he told me. All this stuff will come around again when we hit the academy, and they'll want us to buy theirs. He pointed to the racks of suits. Find your size. You need two and three sets of ship tea and boxers. Any particular color, I asked. The suits were in all colors of the rainbow. Gray or light brown, doesn't matter really, but I always feel like I'm glowing in those brighter shades. He already had two suits and a packet of ship teas and boxers in his size. I wasn't far behind. We picked up some D-pill, deodorant, tooth gel, then headed for the checkout. My bundle came to just under 20 creds. Pip was grinning as we rode the lift back to the suite. "'You're enjoying this, aren't you?' I said. "'Oh, you have no idea how much,' he agreed. "'Aren't you sad to be leaving the Lois?' "'Oh, some, sure, but the Lois is just the latest in the line that will have many more in it before I'm done. "'Look ahead, not back. That's my motto.' "'Pip seemed very chipper. "'I thought your motto was enjoy the ride,' I asked. "'Well, that too,' he agreed. "'After that, we were kind of loose ends. "'We wandered back to the room and I stowed the new gear in the bottom of my duffel. "'Of course, that meant I had to take everything out first. The downside of these bags is that when you want to pack, you almost always have to dump it out and start again, but by the time I came back to the common room, Pip was scrolling through the list of ship arrivals. Anything new? I asked. Nah, just looking. So what do we do now? I said. It's 15.30 and the party's at twenty hundred. Sleep, Pip said. We may not get much later, he added with a grin. He made sense. I went to my room and he went to his. I didn't really think I'd sleep, but I no sooner lay down before Pip woke me. Hey, it's 18.30 and I want to eat before we go. I blinked up from a deep sleep as his voice echoed inside my ears for a bit. Yeah, food, good, yeah. Food before drinking, yes. I sat up in my bed and I grinned. I need a fast splash and some clothes and I'll be ready to go. Find something cheap to eat. He grinned and left while I clambered off the bed. After sleeping for two years on a narrow bunk, that hotel bed seemed big and empty. Shower and fresh clothes, the pink shirt, and I was ready for food. Pip was waiting in the common room, and by 1845 we were tucking into some kind of large grilled sandwiches with fried potatoes and salads on the side. Long time since breakfast, he asked with a grin as I practically inhaled the first half of the sandwich. I forgot to get lunch, I said, with a sheepish grin. Pip insisted we eat slowly and then take a turn around the level to settle dinner before going down to jump. When Juan to arrive too early, he said, give him a chance to get it together before the guests of honor show up. When we finally got down to the party, it was still tuning up. Pip led me back to the same corner we'd been in a year ago. I marveled that so much time could have passed and the memories were so clear. On the wall above our tables, they'd strung up a banner that read, Congratulations, Cadets! That was the extent of the decoration, for which I was grateful. This was going to be hard enough before the night was out. Levon Nichols walked up to me and handed me a drink, gin and tonic, and said, We'll talk in a bit. Have fun. He was gone again before I could thank him. Tabitha Rondita sashayed up to me and all but mugged me right there on the floor, I was feeling delightfully rumpled by the time she was done, and there was more than ample catcalling and encouragement to go around, I thought, but obviously my opinion wasn't being consulted. I came up for air grinning, though. Pip was getting a dose from Jennifer Agato, and I was amused to see her mother cheering her on. I grabbed a quick swig of my drink while I could, because Sandy Belterson and Rebecca Salzman were both heading in my direction, and I had the distinct impression I was about to be double-teamed. I was right. Rebecca held me while Sandy helped herself to a kiss, so deep I thought I'd better get my counsels checked. To be honest, I didn't struggle, at least not more than was necessary for Rebecca to make a good show of holding me. For her part, the kiss she gave me was gentle and sweet, and she whispered good luck-ish in my ear as she gave me a hug before letting me go. She wasn't so gentle with Pip, and when he came up for air, he seemed a little dazed. After that, the party cooled down a bit as we were surrounded by well-wishers who came by to shake or hug or kiss, sometimes all three. At least four of the women who came to wish me luck weren't members of the Lois's crew, but I pretended not to notice. I kept trying to see Bev or Brill, but couldn't spot them. Cece and Emil were both there, so that meant Diane had the watch. Perhaps that's why she attacked me on the mess deck. I grinned a little at that memory. Mr. Maxwell startled me by stepping up beside me to shake my hand. Best wishes, Ishmael, I said. The captain's compliments. She wishes she could attend, but the obligations of command prevent. Thank you for everything, Mr. Maxwell, I told him, shaking his hand. You've been great to serve under. Oh, please don't let that get around, Ishmael, he said with a grin and a twinkle in his eye. I have a reputation to protect. Before I could answer, he pulled an envelope from his inner pocket and slipped it into my jacket. A little something personal from the officers to help you on your way. You'll do us proud. He smiled at me then and winked, and he was gone before I could even thank him. Mr. Kelly and Mr. Cotton came up together while I was still looking to see where Mr. Maxwell had gone. They smiled, clapped me on the shoulders. Mr. Cotton even gave me a hug. They wished me well. Thank you both, I told them, and they smiled and took their execuue. I realized then that the officers were clearing the decks for the crew to have a serious party. Miss Avril was next in line, and she leaned in to speak softly in my ear. Alicia was my roommate at the academy, and she sends her love, she said. Then she kissed me on the ear, flicking her tongue delightfully across the lobe. Good luck, Ishmael, she said, with a smoldering look, and I suddenly had the image of her and Alicia Alvarez practicing that same look on each other at the academy. Thank you, and if you can let me know how those astrogation enhancements work... I'll do that, she said, and then brushed my mouth with her lips. That's for me, she said with a wink, before she joined the parade of officers leaving the party. Lee was the last of the officers there, and he stepped up next with a small flat box in his hand. He handed it to me. He grinned and then started to speak quickly and quietly, as quietly as he could with the hubbub swirling around us. When you go to the academy, they make you buy a tablet, one of theirs. When I heard the captain finally got you to apply, I ordered one for you, and it was waiting for us when we got in. That's not much, but from one system's guide to another, best wishes, and use it well. Drop me a line now and again. Let me know how you're doing. I was speechless. I had no idea how much they cost, but it was an extravagant gift. Oh, you shouldn't have, I said, finally. Probably not, he said, but I only ordered it. I didn't pay for it, so it's okay. Lois, I asked. Who else? He answered with a grin. Lois is being awful nice to me, I said. He looked at me for a moment. You earned it, he said. I didn't know what to say. Well, thank Lois for me. She gave me a home when I needed it. it. was all I could say without losing it again. Lee seemed to realize that and clapped me on the shoulder. Maybe we'll have time to grab a quiet beer before you leave. Message me, he said, nodding at the package in my hands. Then he, too, headed out of the bar. I looked around and Bev and Brill had arrived amid a swirl of shipmates, so I just took a deep breath and a swig of my drink. I looked around and saw Pip at the center of another group of women, at least half of whom weren't from the Lois. He caught me looking in his direction and smiled. I grinned back and raised my glass. We hadn't been there a stand yet, and it looked like the party might already be warming up. The band was starting, the officers had left, and the place was beginning to fill. Selena Mateo came up to me then and gave me a kiss. It wasn't the lose-a-tonsil kind of kiss, but warm enough from a married lady with two kids, one of whom was watching with amusement. Well, she said softly, now I understand. Then she winked at me and stepped back. Jennifer, she called to her daughter, you might want to try this one just to see if you like it. She turned back to me and said, I certainly did. I'm pretty sure I blushed then, and she backed off a little. You're a good man, Ishmael. You're going to make a great officer. The Agato Traders Co-op is always looking for good officers to handle their business. She said it so salaciously that I had to laugh. It made me wonder what business needed handling. Mother, he's young enough to be your son, Jennifer complained. But she did step up, gave me a peck on the lips, and then a longer smoochy kiss. Keep your hands off my mother, you homewrecker, she said with a grin. Maybe you'd like to keep them on me instead. And she arched her body into me while her mother laughed. Jennifer, stop teasing him, she scolded with a laugh. Who's teasing, she asked, looking straight in my eyes. You're the one who said he was a good kisser. Can I help it if you're right? She winked at me on the side away from her mother and kissed me again. Selina just huffed. Well, I never, she said with a grin. Jennifer pulled back from me then with a smile and said, You have to, at least twice, unless you're claiming immaculate conception. You'll pay for that, young lady, her mother laughed. Jennifer looked at me seriously then. I suppose I better behave. Being grounded has a special meaning in our family. We all laughed, and she said, Good luck, Ish. Take care. They wandered off, and I was left alone again. The band started up for real then, and the whole tribe moved out onto the dance floor. I drained my drink and left the empty on a table before joining the group myself. I was a member in good standing in this tribe, and I took my place among them. For the next couple of stands, we danced together, all of us, the past and present crew of the Lois McKendrick... We danced together, and we danced with the crews of other vessels in port. I'd been on this dance floor before, but not really part of the dance the way I was that night, and it felt good. At some point in the evening, Pip disappeared. I was pretty sure I knew where to find him, but also knew why he'd taken the other bedroom in the suite. As time went on, more and more people faded from the floor and paired off according to the rules they'd set for themselves. Eventually the band shut down, and with it a lot of the patrons, merely waiting for one last dance, shut down as well. They left in small groups, occasional pairs, and even rarer, alone. The night was winding down, and it was time to head back to the room. I looked around to see if I could spot either Bev or Brill, but I no sooner thought of them when they were there. "'Shall we sit a while?' I asked. "'Well, we can if you want,' Bev said. "'Personally, I'm ready for bed.' Brill looked at her then and asked, "'Did you have any particular bed in mind?' "'Why, yes,' she said. "'I know of a lovely full-size bed up on Level 7. I was thinking of that one.' "'Well, you might want to see if there's anybody using it at the moment,' Brill observed." Bev turned her predatory eyes on me, and if she hadn't been smiling warmly, I might have felt a bit more afraid. Oh, I don't think he's there yet, she said to Brill, while looking straight into my eyes. Brill grinned at me and leaned over to kiss me herself. You guys take care. See you soon. My heart was heavy in my chest. That old cliché made it hard to breathe as I watched that magnificent woman turn and sail out of my life forever. Bev nudged me then and took my arm. Come on, sailor i got some plans for you that don't include mooning over your ex-boss." She said it with a softness in her voice that told me she understood and, that, frankly, it was an offer I couldn't easily ignore. It was one of those experiences that lives in your mind and warms you in the cold times. We sailed into my room and managed to get the door closed and locked behind us before clothes started flying. And then we were on the bed, giggling and rolling around in a pile like puppies. Stroking and licking, kissing and nipping, skin, everywhere skin, soft and smooth, some with downy pelt, some delightfully naked, some of it tattooed, and some of it pierced with steel, gold, and silver. Eventually, all of it wet and slippery. The giggles and squeals eventually gave way to grasps and moans and much later cries and sighs. Eventually, the night won over, and we fell asleep in a satisfied, quivering heap. ¶¶ Chapter 34, Dunsany Road's Orbital, 2353, July 20. Pip woke me by pounding on the door. Hey, anybody alive in there? Bev answered no before I was really awake. Pip pounded on the door again. If you people don't get out here and help me eat this food, I'm going to send it back to the kitchen. Food, she asked. Breakfast, Pip said. Should be enough if there's only one army in there. Bev was out of bed first, and I thought for an instant she was going to go as she was, that is, naked, barring the odd patch of sweat in her tattoos, but she went to the closet and pulled out a fluffy robe, threw it over herself, and then another one was coming my way. I had a mental overlay of the night ship suit drill months ago when she'd opened the suit locker and was handing out environmental suits in her ship tee and boxers. I like this one better. Even before Pip had stepped back all the way from the door, Bev flung it open and said, Good morning, Pip, and she gave him a kiss on the cheek and headed for breakfast, still tying her robe. She left me standing there, half-tangled in mine. Pip stuck his head in the door and grinned down at me. "'You need me to show you how to put that on?' he asked with a grin, and managed to duck before the pillow I threw hit him in the head. I got the robe on and wandered out to find Pip and Bev, loading plates from a mobile buffet cart that had been wheeled into the suite. I also found Rebecca Salzman looking very seriously pleased with herself, and dressed in the same clothes I'd seen her in the night before. "'Morning, Bev. Hi, Ish,' she said, in that growly purr that was her voice." That sounded even a little more like purr to me, and judging from the look on Pip's face, he'd had quite a night himself. "'Good morning, Rebecca,' Bev said, but wasted no more time on chit-chat before loading a plate with meat, eggs, sausage, and what looked like a spicy red salsa. "'Hi, Rebecca,' I said. The day was off to a great start. Who was I to complain? We made short work of the food, and from the way Bev was looking around for more, I thought maybe we should call for another one, just like the other one. "'You want some more breakfast, Bev?' I asked with a smile. Oh, no, she said. I'm fine. I just didn't want any to go to waste. I think we ate everything but the plates, Pip said, and I'm not sure we didn't eat one of those, he added, making a big show of counting them. Did anybody notice anything really crunchy? We all chuckled, and Rebecca stood up. Well, I have to get back to work, she said. I glanced at the chrono by the bar and saw it said 0730. You're kind of late for watch, aren't you? I asked her. Co-op duty, she said. We're breaking in a new manager this morning, Sarah Krug. I said I'd help out, but what help that woman needs with selling... I don't know. She could sell ice water to a drowning man. We all laughed again, and Rebecca went around the room and kissed everybody. On her way out the door, she said, "'Safe voyage. See you around the docks.' And she left. My portable gave the little bee-boop sound that it made when a new message hit, and I went to see who was messaging. I should have known it was Aunt P. "'They're at the outer marker Pip. I said. "'Aunt P. says they'll be docked by 10 hundred and clear of customs by noon.' The last line caught me off guard. She also says she wants to leave by tomorrow noon. Pip grinned. I told you she'd have a hot cargo lined up. We'll get out and meet them when they clear the customs. She turned to Bev. You want to come and say hi? Yeah, she shrugged. I'm off duty today. Why not? My dream of taking her back to bed evaporated, but I was in no position to complain. Maybe we should get cleaned up and dressed first, I suggested. Dibs on the shower, Bev called, and bolted for the other room. She had the robe half off before she cleared the door. Pip blinked as well he might. It was quite an eyeful. "'No false modesty in her family, huh?' I said. Pip grinned. "'Actually, I think her family are nudist. "'She's the least self-conscious when she's naked.' "'Now you tell me,' I groaned. "'I've been bunking with a gorgeous and repressed nudist for two stanniers, "'and now you tell me?' Pip grinned. "'Sorry, but it's probably just as well you didn't know.' "'I looked at him then and said, good point. "'We were silent for a moment before he asked, "'Are you okay, Ish?' "'Yeah,' I told him. "'No, not really. "'I thought we'd have a little more time.' I shrugged at that. When the boat leaves, you've got to be on it. What can I say? I, mean, I know, but it's just... I started, but I couldn't finish. I know, he said. I know. He slapped his thighs with both hands and said, Still, we have the suite tonight. We'll have to check out tomorrow anyway. Some breaks are probably best made quickly. I rubbed my face with my hands. Yeah, but being right doesn't make it hurt any less. Oh, you got that right, brother, he said. And he sighed. I better get my own act together here. He headed for his room and presumably a shower. I looked at the chronometer 0800 and thought, what am I going to do with that animal in my shower? I realized what i just thought and headed for the bathroom myself. At very least, I was going to watch. The morning went too quickly, and we were on the dock by noon, dressed and presentable to the public. It felt so good to be out and strolling the corridors with Bev. Just walking with her felt luxurious. Watching the other people's reactions was priceless. Just before we got to the lock, we met Brill and invited her along. "I'm oh, sure, I'd love to see the ship, she said, and fell into step with Bev and me. Something had happened when I wasn't looking, and Brill didn't walk with her stoop. More, people didn't look at her with the same kind of derision I'd grown used to ignoring. Seeing her stride along with Bev, I could see why. She was awe-inspiring. Bev had stationed to her port side, and I took up my station on starboard. We strode the corridors together, invincible if only for a few more stands. Pip was walking slightly ahead of us, and he just smiled. The bad pennies telltale showed clear on the lock when we got there. Pip rang the call. Cousin Roger opened up and beckoned us in. His eyes bulged out slightly when Brill and Beverly stepped in with us, but I didn't blame him. They had that effect on a lot of people, me among them. Roger led us through the living room and into a cozy galley. There was no mess deck, per se, but a large table, big enough to seat twelve people comfortably, was right there in the galley. It felt so warm and welcoming, like I'd just come home. Aunt P. beamed when she saw us and came over to hug us. How good to see you all, she exclaimed. Bev and Brill stepped up and gave her a hug, and I thought Brill said something to her, but Pip asked, "'What's the big rush? I thought we were going to hang out for a few days.' Roger said, "'Cargo deadline. Extra fifty kilocreds if we deliver on time.' Pip looked at me then with an I-told-you-so look on his face. Aunt P was just patting Brill on the cheek and turned to me to say, "'I'm so glad you're going with Pip. His father wasn't nearly as upset as I thought he'd be.' "'He knew all along, Aunt P,' Pip said. "'We ran into him at Umber.' "'Well, I should hope so,' she said. "'That's where we sent him. "'And here you are. "'Are you excited?' she asked Pip. Excited isn't the word I'd use, really, Aunt P., he said, more of a yes-it's-time-I-went-so-let's-get-on-with-it kind of feeling. What about you, Ishmael? Are you excited? Yes and no, I told her. The Lois was like my family after my mother died, and now I'm leaving that family. It's the right thing to do, but I hate leaving. Well, she said, it's not permanent. We're a small community. You're bound to meet up again. Ain't that the truth, Bub said with a heavy load of irony that flew right past me. Aunt P. gave us the short tour of the ship, It was really impressive. I could see where every part of the ship had to be to operate, but compared to the lowest, everything was so compact. The cabins were nice. Besides the captain's cabin, there were two more singles, four doubles, and a big one with four bunks. There was even a small workout area with exercise equipment, and in lieu of a sauna, a hot tub that looked like about ten people would fit in it. As we went back to the living room, I said, Oh, this is so nice. I wish we had more than a few weeks. Roger laughed. Wait till those few weeks are over and then say that, he said. It can get pretty cramped. I allowed us how that was possibly true, but it still looked pretty good to me. "'Well, who's up for some lunch?' Aunt P asked. "'Quent's gone to deal with the cargo, "'but Roger and I were just heading up to a little place we like on Level 5. "'You kids want to join us?' "'We had a ball at lunch, but it was so unfair. "'Bev, Brill, and Aunt P got on like gangbusters. "'We had such a good time, and I tried to stay in the moment "'and ignore the pending break in my heart. "'I succeeded, but only because everybody was having such fun. "'It was easier to ignore while I was distracted.' As lunch wrapped up, Aunt P said, "Well, I expect you young people will have things to do this evening, but everybody needs to be aboard by nine hundred for a twelve hundred pullout. Normally, it's less, but the Confederation is persnickety about it." Okay, Aunt P. Pep said, "We'll be there, and thanks for giving us a ride." Oh, you know me," she said with a grin. Always willing to fly halfway across the galaxy to turn a profit. She turned then and took Roger's arm as she sauntered back toward the lift. Pep said, "Well, we've got some stuff to do too." Brill agreed. You know how it is—always something needin' doin'. I looked at Bev. "'You don't have watch tonight?' I asked. She shook her head. "'Normally I would, but they're breaking Tabitha in on it.' Brill broke in with, "'We'll meet you back at the suite about 1800.' She looked at Bev, who nodded in confirmation. "'I wanted to spend every last remaining moment with them, "'but all I could say was, see you soon.' They linked arms and followed in the wake of Aunt P and Roger. "'Those two are up to something,' I told Pip. "'Why do you say that?' he asked. "'Oh, I don't know. Something's up, and with that pair it could be anything.' I said, admiring the view until they got out of sight. You may be right. We'll find out when they're darn good and ready to tell us, though, so it's no good speculating, he replied. I chuckled in agreement. So what'll we do for, I checked my chrono, three stands. I was thinking sleep, he said. I didn't get much last night, and judging from the sounds, you didn't either. I like your idea better than any I could come up with, I said. When I woke, it was 18.50, and the girls were sitting, talking quietly in the common room. They'd changed clothes and looked ready for a night out. "'You didn't come wake me?' I asked. "'Bev said, "'I was plenty rough on you last night, and I suspect you needed a nap.' "'Brill agreed with her, yes, and she intends on keeping you awake tonight, too, "'so it's probably a good idea.' "'That was both good and bad. Good for what it promised. "'Bad for what it meant the next day.' "'Pip came out of his room then, dressed and ready to go out. "'So what are we doing?' he asked. "'Dinner and dancing?' Bev suggested. "'Brill added, "'Dinner anyway. We need to feed.' "'Last night in port,' Pip noted. "'Any preferences for dinner?' "'I had some, but they involved smearing various tasty morsels across an amazing array of anatomy. "'I didn't figure that was going to be too social. "'Well, I'm open to almost anything,' I said. "'There was a knock on the door, and Pip said, "'Ah, my date!' "'He went to open it, and Roan Shom launched herself at him, "'pinning him against the wall and kissing him very thoroughly. "'She came up for air and looked over at us. "'Oh, hi. You kids about ready for dinner?' "'Then she went back for a second helping of Pip before any of us could summon sufficient wit to reply.' When she surfaced the second time, Pip looked like he might have died right there, but he shook himself and came back to us. "'Hi, Ron. Good to see you.' She grinned at him. "'You too.' Then kissed him on the tip of his nose for luck before releasing the lapels of his jacket. She came on into the room then and flounced down on the sofa. "'So, what are we doing for dinner? I'm starved.' "'We're just trying to decide. You have any preferences?' I asked her. "'I'm pretty sure I know what I'm having for dessert,' she said, with a nakedly wanton glance in Pip's direction. "'But I think I'd like a nice steak as entree. "'You kids know any good steak places?' Yeah, Bev said, just around the starboard, a couple hundred meters. Oh, good, Ron said. It's close. This is a side of Ron I'd never seen before, and I was laughing along with everybody else. In less than ten ticks, we'd adjourned to the restaurant, and the maitre d' was happy to find us a quiet corner. When I sat down, I thought, so, this is our last dinner together. I thought of all the dinners I'd shared with Brill and Bev, starting with Maurice and Gugara, all the deck meals we'd shared out in the deep dark, eating cookies, excellent food. Luckily, Roan's antics soon distracted me from that morose contemplation, and we started having fun. We were there until about 2100, eating, drinking a little, telling stories, laughing together. It was all so deliciously distracting and fun. For a little while, I was able to forget that in less than a day, I'd be leaving Bev and Brill on the wrong side of the galaxy. After we finished the third bottle of wine, though, we settled up and headed back to the suite. Roan practically dragged Pip into his bedroom with a cheerful smile. Night now, you kids have fun, closed the door. I heard her turn the bolt, and I wondered if it was to keep us out or Pip in. Bev and Brill looked at each other. He's in for a hell of a night, isn't he? Bev asked Brill. Yes, she said, and then with a grin, so's Pip. Brill turned to me then with a small smile. You take care of yourself. I'll see you around the docks, she said. Before I knew it, she slipped out of the suite, and the door latch clicked shut behind her. Bev took my arm and gently led me to the bedroom, then, stopping at the door to look at me as if to see if I were actually there. She looked anxiously from one eye to the other until I managed a little smile, and she took me the rest of the way into the room, closing the door gently behind her. After the door was closed, we didn't rip off our clothes and attack, and it was more deliberate, more loving. The sheets had been changed again, but we saw no reason not to make as much mess of this new set as we had the last. We're in no hurry, and we took our time with each other. It was by turns tender and hilarious, wanton and gentle, fingers, tongues, arms, legs, feet, ears. Napes of necks were favored in many cases, and again, so much skin to kiss and hold and cry on. We fell asleep, completely sated, before midnight, and woke again at 0300 to have another round before finally sleeping. Bev kissed me awake at 0730. You need to get cleaned up and get out of here, she said gently. Grab a shower quick and get your clothes on. If you hurry, you can grab breakfast on the way down to the dock's. She kissed me again and pushed me inceremoniously out of the bed. I crawled reluctantly to my feet and into the shower. It only took a few moments to wash up and clean my teeth. I didn't bother with the pill. I didn't grow beard that fast. Bev was still in bed and watching me move about and get dressed, packing my things into the duffel getting ready to leave her. She didn't look as sad as I felt. Perhaps it was something I'd built into my own mind and I was making more of it than I should. I sat beside her on the bed and took her in my arms one last time, kissing her gently on her eyes and nose and her mouth. Thank you, Beverly Areth. You are a she-wolf, you know. She grinned lazily up at me, stretching sensuously in my arms. You're not so bad yourself, she purred. She reached up and kissed me, very tenderly, putting her hand around the back of my head and stroking the back of my skull. Pip was stirring about in the common room, so I knew it was time to go. I let Bev go with a final peck on the cheek and crossed to the connecting door. Before I opened it, I turned back and said, I love you, you know. Thank you for all you've done for me. And then I slipped out and closed the door behind me. Pip was waiting with his duffel packed and fully dressed. "'Ready?' he asked gently. I shrugged, not trusting myself to speak, and headed for the door. I didn't have a lot to say on the way down to the docks, and Pip didn't press. At least we'd had a few days of bliss. Remembering how long it had taken me to recover from Alvarez, I wondered how long it would take to get over Bev. I chuckled to myself at that. Do you ever get over being loved by a she-wolf? I turned to Pip. "'Do you want to grab some breakfast?' "'Can you eat?' he asked solicitously. "'Well, probably not,' I shrugged, but got to try.' We slipped into a spacer diner just off the docks and ordered the standard egg bacon and potato breakfast. Pip said it was good and I ate mine, but I didn't taste it. By the time we'd finished and settled up, it was already pushing 8.45. We had to hustle to make it to the docks. Cousin Roger was waiting with an open lock and grinned when he saw us. Welcome aboard, he said. You can drop your duffels in the living room. Mom and Dad are in the galley and the coffee's hot. It was going to be okay, I thought. This is so homey. I could recover here and be, if not whole, then at least mostly healed by the time we hit Port Newmar. Pip and I dropped our bags in the corner of the living room and went on through to find Aunt P and Uncle Q sitting on one end of the big table having coffee. Aunt P pointed to a coffee pot, a real coffee pot and not a utility-sized urn. Help yourself, boys. Mugs are in the cabinet above. Uncle Q said, Welcome aboard, guys. You timed it well. Aunt P squinted at the chrono. "Yeah, now if the others would make it on time, we'll be shaking the dust off right on schedule. I took my coffee over and sat across from them at the table. I figured we'd be sharing a few meals. I wondered who'd be cooking. Others, Aunt P? I asked politely. Yeah, she said, I got a couple more cadets needing a ride. Figured we could get you all in the same boat and save time. She kept her eye on the chrono and waited. We all heard the lock start to close, and the chrono said 8.55. Aunt P punched a button on her tablet. There, she said, now the port authorities know we're buttoned up on time. They'll be happy, and we can leave. Other cadets? I asked, looking at Pip. He was studying his coffee, but I could see a grin. I heard voices in the living room and then steps in the passage, and... Brill and Bev walked into the kitchen. You girls cut that a bit fine, didn't you? Aunt P asked with a grin. Oh, we got caught in traffic, Brill said with a grin. Bev was just grinning, and I suddenly realized that everybody was looking at me. You all knew, I exclaimed. They were all grinning. Cadets? I asked, looking back at them. Brill said, Yeah, when I heard you'd applied, I went to Mr. Kelly and told him I wanted to go. He'd been after me for two standers. He was delighted. Bev said, I'm number 35 on the captain's hip parade. That filled-out application with a stack of recommendations on it is a very effective trick. She turned to Aunt P and said, thank you for your recommendation as well, Captain. I'm Penny when I'm at home, dear, and I'm glad to help Alice out wherever I can. How did your father take the news, Brill? He was overjoyed. I thought he was going to fly out himself. Any problems from the co-op, Bev, she asked. No, nope, she said, they're tickled that another one of us is going. Are you going to have to serve your time there, she asked. No, she said again. Mom and Dad have been investing just for this. They're going to do everything they can to help me out. I had a nice financial aid package, too. It's, it's going to work out. Bev and Brill settled at the table with us, and it all felt so amazingly right. Aunt P, Uncle Q, beamed at us, and Aunt P said, You four are the craziest, luckiest, and least likely team I think I've ever met. You watch out for each other down in Port Newmar, and you'll do just fine. Now, let's go get you settled. We all trooped back to the living room and picked up thuffles. I still had no idea how they pulled it off, and I wasn't going to ask. Yet. I was just counting my blessings. Aunt P. led us down to the cabins and turned to Pip. "'You want your old cabin?' she asked. "'Sure,' he said, peeled off into one of the singles. Aunt P. looked at us then. "'You three can have any combinations you want,' she said with a devilish little grin. Brill chuckled, pointing at one of the singles, and said, "'Dibs, I don't remember the last time I had a room to myself.' We took a couple of ticks, divvying up the rooms and figuring out where to stash duffel bags.' We changed into ship suits and it amused me when Brill showed up in a suit of midnight black while Bev wore blood red. I felt almost underdressed in my gray. All told, it took us close to a stand to get out of our civvies into the ship suits and finally made our way to the kitchen for coffee. At the appointed time, Pip led us to the bridge. It was the first time I'd seen the bridge. It was small, so you didn't get the feeling that you were standing in a room and looking out through the windows so much as you were standing in space surrounded by stars. There was even a skylight in the overhead, and I could see up the side of the orbital from where I was standing. This could be a very romantic setting out in the deep dark, with stars all around and the ships sailing through the ever-night. There are only three consoles on this bridge, but there are two mismatched sofas and two more overstuffed chairs. We heard Aunt P giggling as she came up the ladder to the bridge, and Uncle Q was very close behind her. I wondered what he'd been doing to make her giggle. That thought made me grin. Aunt P took the center seat and Uncle Q sat to her right. She waved Bev over to take the seat on her left. you stood helm watch, haven't you, Bev?' she asked. "'Of course,' Bev said with a grin. If getting the Lois McKendrick underway was a ballet, leaving on the Bad Penny was a jam session. I was standing in the back of the bridge so I could watch. Brill was standing beside me, close enough I could feel the heat of her, but not quite touching. Pip was sprawled on one of the couches, possibly dozing. Aunt P keyed to Mike and asked, "'Are you ready, Roger?' "'We're ready to rumble, Mom,' his voice came back from the speaker on the console. "'Mother, may I?' she said to Quint. He was watching a systems board and said, "'Clearance requested.' A moment later, he said, "'Clearance granted.' Aunt P. ran a few commands through her board, and I felt the docking clamps released with a small thump, and we were sliding smoothly back under our own power. "'Just keep us pointing at the orbital, dear,' she said to Bev. "'We'll slide out for half a stand or so, and then come about onto our exit vector.' Bev's console was live, and she was grinning as she watched her screens and the ports all at once. After the lowest, she said, this is like driving a flitter. Aunt P. grinned. If you think this is good, wait till we get the sails up. You may need a towel. A towel, she asked. Aunt P. nodded. Yeah, just sit on, she said with a wink. Uncle Q sat back in his chair and smiled fondly at his wife. She didn't seem to be looking in his direction, but she reached over and patted his thigh. Brill must have seen the gesture because she shifted her weight so she was leaning against me or... Maybe I shifted mine. It didn't matter. As long as I could feel her, I felt peace. I had the same sensation looking over at Bev on the helm. Just looking at her made me feel whole. I could see Aunt P getting ready on her board and glancing out the ports as if she could actually eyeball the positions. She keyed her mic once more and said, "'Stand by, Roger, another tick, and we'll be coming about.' "'Okay, Mom,' Roger's voice said. Aunt P turned to Bev and asked, "'Could you bring her around to 65 degrees to port "'with a 15-degree up angle on the bow, please, Bev?' Sixty-five degrees port, fifteen degrees up, aye, Captain,' Bev said automatically. Then she squealed in delight as the view outside the port shifted really fast. Aunt P laughed. "'I should have mentioned that. She's a bit ticklish,' she added. "'Now watch her. I'm going to bring up the engines.' Bev just grinned. Aunt P ran up the engines, and I could actually feel them come online through the space frame of the ship. Our vector shifted, and we were pulling away. "'Did you log us out, honey?' P asked Q.' Yes, dear, he said. On the mark at 1,200 and leaving orbital space at 1,235. She patted his thigh again and left her hand resting there for a long moment. In what seemed no time at all, we were clear of the proximity markers, and Aunt P. keyed her mic. Okay, Roger, we're out. See you in the galley. What do you want for lunch, she asked. I hadn't thought about food, but as soon as he said the word lunch, my stomach reminded me. Apparently Aunt P. heard it, too, because she said, I'm not too fussy, Hans. Sandwiches for now. You got it, Mom. See you in the galley. I looked over my shoulder and out the after port, where the planet was almost visibly falling astern. I turned back to where the woman I loved and who seemed to love me in return was playing on the console. I smiled. I knew it couldn't last. The demands of school and later careers would probably drag us apart. We'd grow along our separate paths and maybe come to need things we couldn't give each other, but still I remembered the way P's hand had rested on Q's thigh. The loving familiarity of long association in the touch and the thought gave me hope for someday, perhaps in a ship like this. I dreamed that it might come true, but most dreams evaporate in the light of waking, disappearing, never to be seen again. Of course, when you're really fortunate, others come to take their places. Aunt P ran the engines down and secured them before glancing at Bev. I'm bringing up the sails. Are you ready? she asked. Yep, Bev said, I think so. Aunt P grinned and keyed up the field generators that unfurled the sails to the solar winds. I could see Bev's hands on the controls actually loosen and relax as the sails filled. The penny began clawing up out of the gravity well. Oh my, she said, you can almost feel them. Yep, Aunt P said with a grin. After just a few ticks running out like that, Aunt P stood up and stretched. Well, I want some lunch. You guys coming, she asked. Pip was on his feet instantly and headed for the door. Last one at the galley does the dishes. Uncle Q was right behind him. Aunt P stepped over and gave Bev a pat on the back. You don't need to sit there, she said. The autopilot works perfectly well. "'Is it okay if I stay for a while?' Bev asked. Aunt P leaned down and gave her a peck on the cheek. "'Of course, dear. I come up and sail her myself sometimes. "'The autopilot has the course. "'Anytime you're ready, just engage it with that control.' She pointed to a broad button in the upper edge of the console. As Aunt P stepped off the bridge, she paused at the door and looked out of the forward port with a happy little smile. First star on the right, Miss Aerith. "'Straight on till morning.' Bev grinned at that and answered, "'Aye, aye, Captain.' Straight on till morning. Thanks for listening to Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is from the Fox Hunters, an Irish slip jig originally recorded in 1984 by James Curran and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandis offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For a website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.dirandis.org slash golden.